Blog Talk Radio. Oh, yeah, man, you know, South Florida's a dirty thing, to say the least. Um, I don't know, man. When you're down in the, in the tackle and everything, and everyone's on top, they're going to try to go for your ankles and everything. We was already up like three, four touchdowns, so I was like, you know what? Ain't no point for me to try to mess with these guys and go play 30. You know, so it is what it is. I wanted to, like, score 70 points on them. You know, they disrespected us, so I had no respect for them at all. So at that point, I felt like we should just keep pushing them and keep killing them. What were, the, what were they doing? It's just little stuff out the power, man. Just dumb stuff. That was it. That was you know, got tied up with you know, Watson. You guys were. I don't know who that is, but whoever was on the defensive line. Whoever was on the defensive line. Who were you guys? John back and forth. I mean, it's just words on the speed, you know. So it is what it is. But they were twisting your ankles underneath the pile. It's a, it's a game of football, you know. They they obviously obviously got the injury report thanks to a certain group of people. So um, it is what it is. Dirty play beneath the pile in the game of football? Nah, couldn't be. Was Stephen Morris right for calling out the USF Bulls for their nasty business Saturday in Tampa? Was he being too sensitive? Or does the real blame go out to the Miami offensive line yet again for letting their hobbled quarterback get a little too roughed up? We'll discuss that issue and more tonight on Kane Sport Live. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com, and we're once again getting ready to embark on the fastest two hours in Hurricane Sports. As always, this is your show, and it's going to be driven by your participation. We're going to start out talking about Saturday's USF game, about Stephen Morris, about Miami's first-half offensive explosion, and other issues pertaining to Hurricane football with open phone lines. Then later on, we're going to talk to Rivals.com national recruiting analyst Mike Farrell and find out how Miami's 4-0 start is affecting the Canes on the national level. And then we're going to get back to more Hurricane Talk all the way up till 10 o'clock tonight. So we welcome everybody to call in and participate in the show. As always, the call-in number is 646-595-2048. That's 646-595-2048. As always, we have 50 open phone lines, so there's plenty of room for everybody to call in and participate in the show. Over the past two days, as always, we asked Canesport.com subscribers to identify some of the topics that they would like to hear discussed on tonight's show. The betting line for the game has gone from 5.5 to 4.5 this week. Why is that? How big a threat is Georgia Tech, and why don't the Canes have more respect in Vegas? We'll talk about that. With Georgia Tech being a running team that can milk the clock, does Miami need to try to come out and score quickly in this football game, or would it be better to slow down the tempo and give the defense a rest and get into a slugfest? What about that explosion Saturday from the Miami offense in Tampa? The Canes had 411 yards of offense at halftime against a decent defense. Obviously not one of the best defenses in the country, but those guys came in as a decent defense, and Miami was dominant. Is that a sign of things to come? for the rest of the year. What's up with the short yardage running game? Why did Miami struggle some on the goal line against USF? And what about Duke Johnson? He looks like a different player down there near the goal line. Why was he fumbling the football? Has Jared Wheeler become a better center than Shane McDermott the past two weeks as McDermott has missed time due to an injury suffered against Florida? A lot of talk about whether Jared Wheeler should be starting at center this Saturday but Shane McDermott is returning and is likely to get that start. Which conference foe should people be most worried about moving forward? Is it Georgia Tech this Saturday, Florida State down the road, 
North Carolina on a Thursday night. Virginia Tech, which always is a nemesis for Miami. We'll talk about that. Quarterback recruit Brad Kaya was offered this afternoon by hometown UCLA. How big of a threat are the Bruins now to steal Miami's top quarterback recruit? What's the latest on the NCAA front? We're into October now, and not a word in sight from the boys in Indianapolis. What's going on there? And what's up with the improvement of Shayon Green? What's behind his stellar play so far this season? How about Al Golden and his maximization of talent on this roster? How's he doing it? How are unheralded guys like Jared Wheeler, Tyrone Cornelius, Casey Rogers, and more emerging as quality contributors? What impact does that have on team unity? What's the health status of Duke Johnson going into this game with the blows to the head that he's taken the past few weeks and the concussion tests that he's been enduring on the sidelines? Is Al Golden's coaching style different this season than in past years? Is that leading to a success? And what about the national polls? You know, where Miami now is 14th in the country in both polls. Some people are wondering whether Clemson at 4-0 should be ranked even higher than third in the AP poll and fourth in the USA Today poll. I say no to that. I wasn't impressed with what I saw of the Tigers when I watched their game last week. So we've got all that to talk about tonight on Kane Sport Live. But let's start by looking back at the USF game, a picture-perfect day in Tampa, and James Coley took the shackles off the Canes' passing attack. Miami had 411 yards of offense in the first half. Um, and the offense actually was aided by 168 yards and special teams penalties that nullified kick returns and gave the offense a long field to work with, which they were able to exploit and get huge chunks of yardage and score touchdown after touchdown. Stephen Morris was great, 11 of 16 for 222 yards in the first half before leaving the game when he had his ankle twisted under the pile. Stacy Coley, Alan Hearns, and Philip Dorsett were sensational. Duke Johnson had 79 yards despite his two fumbles. You really saw the full force of the Miami defense. I want to know what you guys thought about what you saw Saturday in Tampa, and that's why you need to call right now, 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048. It's your show, and it's going to be driven by your participation. Now, what about Stephen Morris and all that talk about, you know, the late hits and twisted ankles and things under the pile after the game? Was he right for calling out the USF Bulls for their nasty business? Or was he being too sensitive, like I mentioned earlier? Or does the blame go to the offensive line for the breakdowns that were allowing Morris to get a little bit too rough in that game? I think, personally, it's a combination of a few things. I did think he was being a little too sensitive. I think that that's what happens in, in football games when players are injured. You know, guys are going to go after your ankles and things like that under the pile and, and try to get you out of the ball game. And, you know, it's a mental game. And, and I thought Stephen Morris made a mistake by making it an issue in the aftermath because all that does is put it more on the minds of future teams that are going to play the Hurricanes. Hey, may, you know, maybe we can get to Stephen's head um, by doing a little funky stuff on the field when we get a chance. So I think it would have been better to just let it go, move on. Um, that doesn't mean it will have a lasting impact as the season goes forward. But to me, no reason to take that chance. And then I also think the offensive line could have done a little bit better. Um, I think that they're struggling a little bit in short yardage situations, which has been a recurring theme really for several seasons now. Um, when Miami gets down in the goal line, when it gets into these third and fourth and one situations, the offensive line 
is not always physical enough to get those yardage for the backs. And sometimes it's the backs' fault for not hitting the holes in the right way. So obviously, short yardage running game is an area where this football team has a lot of work left to do. And um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think that Al Golden has been the master of identifying issues and attacking them and making them better. And there is no doubt in my mind that short yardage running game, both with the backs and the offensive line, is a huge issue this week as Miami gets ready for Georgia Tech. And they're going to figure out a way to get that fixed. Now, there's been some conjecture with that Walter Tucker, true freshman who has been moved to fullback, might get some playing time in a, in a role such as that. Um, I think that might be a little premature. I'm, I'm not sure the coaches are ready to throw Walter Tucker out there with the game on the line, um, but they may decide to pull his red shirt and let him play this year. And if that is the case, you might see him worked in at some points, you know, in the middle of games or late in games, uh, if the opportunity presents itself. But do I think you're going to see Walter Tucker getting the ball on third and one at the two-yard line in the first quarter against Georgia Tech? No, I don't. But the question is, will it be Duke Johnson? You know, Dallas Crawford, even though he's another smaller running back, has really shown a propensity for getting into the end zone. Now, it's been against inferior competition, no question about it. I don't think you can overreact to it by any stretch of the imagination. Personally, I would like to see Gus Edwards emerge as that short yardage running back. But don't be shocked if, if, if Dallas Crawford doesn't get a chance to do that a little bit more here in these coming games because um, even though it's been against Savannah State and South Florida, he has done a good job of getting in the end zone. All right, our call-in number is 646-595-2048. That's 646-595-2048. You're welcome to call in now, 50 open phone lines. We're going to start out by going out now to the 347, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gus, what's, uh, Gary, excuse me, what's going on, man? This is Kwame. Hey, what's up, Kwame? How you doing this week? Doing well, doing well. Can't complain. Um feeling mighty proud to be a Hurricanes fan, just watching how the offense exploded. I just wanted to touch on a couple of topics, if I could. Yeah, um, go ahead. The first, the first was uh, Gus Edwards, and uh, I like what I saw. He still runs a little high, doesn't really get you know, behind his pads like he should, and he needs to watch his pad level. But he has, you know, his feet are a lot better than what I thought they were. And I'm just, you know, wondering since you're down there, and I'm actually up here in Washington, D.C., shut down, as a matter of fact. But um, (laughs) uh, I'm, (laughs) man, this thing, good gracious. But anyway, back on topic. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you've heard anything, whether they they plan to utilize him more. I mean, at least from what I saw, uh, he looked well. He looked he looked really good moving between that A gap and that B gap. Yeah, he's making uh, really good progress. And um, I, I think the best way to answer your question is circle back to recruiting. And Gus Edwards was a kid they picked up in January, and uh, was he was recruited because he's a big back, and they they needed a big back on this roster. So when they recruited him, it was without question with the idea that he was going to play quite a bit this year. Now. There were some issues with the NCAA clearinghouse and training camp that uh, kind of sidelined him for a week or two. And that set him back a little bit because uh, that was really valuable work that he missed. So, you know, it's taking a little bit of time here for the coaches to build trust. I, you know, I think he missed two scrimmages in the in the fall. So, you know, that they didn't really get a chance 
to build that trust to where they're putting them in the game in the first quarter um, or putting them in the game when it's third and two. But I think what we're seeing, <laughs> which you know to me is very has been very predictable, and it's something that I think we've spoken about on this show since the start of the season, is I'm not convinced that Duke Johnson is a short yardage running back. I'm really not. And, he's you know, not. Duke, he's not. He's not, right? Yeah, he's not. <laughs> he's not. And he's he, not, as great – I likened him to um, a, a, a upgraded uh, Falk that used to play in New England. He's a very good in space. You can get him on those stretch plays, but I'm not going to put him, you know, you know, the ten yard line in and try to say, "Hey, go get me ten yards." Totally agree. Um, and you know, so I think that that you know we were seeing it loud and clear. I guarantee you, Al Golden's start, you know seeing it. And I personally would like to see Gus Edwards grow into that role uh, you know i think Indeed. he's got the body for it i think he's got the running style for it you know like you you know very astutely noted a, few, a minute or two ago he just has to learn how to run at the right pad level you know he, he he tends to run a little too high and think that he can just bulldoze over people and you know that junk might have worked in high school but this is college <laughs> yeah this is college it's not working at the college level so you know he has to learn to get down lower in those goal line situations i think he will and and once he shows that he can do it, I think that he'll possibly evolve into that role. Appreciate you. Uh, one one other thing I wanted to, to bring up is I could. Yeah. I'm just looking at the schedule, and I watched that uh, the the TNT battle, Tech versus Tech, uh, last weekend, like most you know folks did. And if this is the level of competition until we get to Florida State, um. I'm very excited because I didn't see anything out there from Virginia Tech or Georgia Tech, for that matter, in you know the Colts division that I'm afraid of. And North Carolina got demolished by East Carolina. Yeah. I mean, they was looking up. I was thinking, was looking, they circled that North Carolina game on Thursday night, thinking, like, okay, this is probably you know they got a, a pro style quarterback who can really sling it. Uh, I like Brent Renner a lot. Uh, so I'm, I really circled that game and said, hmm, this, uh, this will really show me what they're made of. But I looked at Tech. Logan Thomas is not the guy. Uh, maybe you can't turn a tight end into a quarterback. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that, you know, triple option crap is going to work with that Miami defense. I mean, it, didn't, it, it barely worked. I mean, it did work last year to a degree because, you know, uh, they scored a lot of points on us. But when it counted – uh, the defense showed up. Even last year, as porous as that defense was, now you transfer, you know, fast forward to this season, and you know the way Renfro is playing and Gilbert and Kumalo starting to come on now. I, I don't see how Georgia Tech, some of these adversaries in our division, are going to stop us from getting to that championship game. And if that's the case, uh, I'm wondering if you can, you know, expound upon. How this is going to look like in the AP polls if an undefeated ACC team comes out, whether it be us or those criminals up in North in Tallahassee, um, how this plays out for the Canes? Because I, I I don't see how to keep them out of a you know a championship game if they're coming out of the ACC. Well, I'm going to slow you down a little bit, and I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> um, you know, and and like everybody else. You know, of, of course, I would love to see Miami go 12 and 0 this year, and I agree that there is an opportunity there 
to have that type of season or an 11 and 1 season or something along those lines. However, there is no way that, you know, and you're looking at eight an eight game stretch here. Georgia Tech at North Carolina, Wake Forest at Florida State, Virginia Tech at Duke, Virginia and Pittsburgh. Obviously, the last three games look like they're going to be relatively manageable, hope, you know, as long as the team's healthy at that point. Um, so you focus in on these next five, okay? And and here's why I'm going to here's what I'm going to tell you. I, you know, obviously it, 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 things could go really well this Saturday, but I think that the strong likelihood is that Georgia Tech is going to come into this game very prepared, very motivated, and is going to really put up a good showing on Saturday at Sun Life Stadium. Um, I think that. You know, you look that at the team that you, that team that you saw on Saturday, you think that team is going to come and, 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 and put up points? Yeah, let me tell you why. That was a Thursday night game. They had four days to prepare, and Virginia Tech's defense is very good this year. And they just they laid an egg. You know, they just they did not play well, and you know didn't get it done. However, that's a dangerous football team, and it's a dangerous offense. They made a lot of big plays on the Miami defense last year. And I think you got to look at the fact that a lot of the guys that are playing defense for Miami this year have really never really played a lot of meaningful minutes against Georgia Tech. I, I mean, you know, you look at Renfro, you look at Gilbert, you look at Kamalu, you know, just on the defensive line alone. And, you know, I, I'm trying to remember how much Porter played against them uh, last year. Um I don't even and think he was the next game last year because he didn't come back to the last two games. Right. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think he saw even a play in that game. Okay. So you know you, that, that those are your defensive tackles and 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 big guys on the defensive line that you're going to be counting on a lot in this football game. They've never faced this offense before. Okay. Now let's look out on the perimeter. You know how much is Deion Bush <laughs> going to be able to contribute in this game? You know I. I can't predict anything major there based on what I've seen from him so far this year. You know what, Gary? You know what, Gary? Forgive me for cutting you off, but I, I love Dion. I, I love him as a player. I've been following him since Columbus. But, you know, that groin injury is tough to come back from. But i got to give a hats off to Casey Rogers. He has played well yes, in Dion's absence. Yes, he has. But now, you're gonna be counting on him to play, but now you're going to be counting on him to play well against this Georgia Tech offense, which is a whole different animal. Um, very mm. physical ball game, a lot of smash mouth, a lot of cut blocking. It's a it's a really it's a real mental test when you play Georgia Tech. Um, now let's go further out onto the perimeter. You'll remember Tracy Howard, as great as he's been playing at cornerback this year. Mm-hmm. If you remember a year ago when Miami played Georgia Tech, they held Kate, they held him Tracy, Tracy Howard totally out of the ball game because. He couldn't handle this style of play. It was it just didn't fit his skill set, and mm. so you know you don't know what's going to happen out on the perimeter with the corners and the safeties. To me, there are so many question marks of how this Miami defense is going to hold up against Georgia Tech's offense on Saturday, and I think that to me is a big reason why you're seeing the betting line come down. It went from five and a half to four and a half. I think as the guys out in Vegas take a look at this game, mm-hmm. and you know I think they're forecasting some offensive success for Georgia Tech, and uh, I really think that this could be a very tough ball game on Saturday. Um, you know Miami, if it plays its game on offense and 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 doesn't turn the ball over and underachieve on the offensive side, should be able to score enough points 
to keep up and 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 win the game on its home field. But a gimme, absolutely not. Um, I'm expecting a tough football game. All right, so that's Georgia Tech. Now North Carolina, totally agree. They've been stinking up the field. All right, but you got to go up there on a Thursday night and play a Thursday night game, a game that you know they're going to be up for, and. In those situations, anything can happen. I mean, that's a tough environment to have to go deal with when you go on the road. Um, so I, I don't look at that game as a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. At Florida State, we don't even have to talk about. And then yeah, that's the after, after you have that slug, what, what figures to be an all-out slugfest against Florida State, I mean, you know how physical that ball game is going to be. Um, it'll be the Oh, it'll be the Yeah. Oh, it's going to be a fight to the finish um, in every which way. Now, after you go through that, win or lose, now you got to come home and deal with Virginia Tech, you know, which is a physical I'm not team. scared of Virginia Tech. I'm, I'm, I'm really not scared. Not of, scared. I'm not saying be scared of anybody, Kwame. I'm not saying be scared of anybody. What I'm saying is slow down. You know, there, there, there's a lot of work to be done here over this little uh, five-week stretch of season that, that Miami's getting ready to embark on. And can they emerge from it unbeaten? Of course they can, um, but it's going to be a it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a week to week battle. The, the, you know, injuries are going to play a role. How how they emerge from ball games and um, you know breaks along the way. Even when Miami had its great teams, it never waltzed through seasons. I mean, you're going to have four, five, or six tough tests. And so far, the only one that we even come close to qualifying to be on that list is the Florida game. So I yeah. think you still got another three, four. You know, these three or four really tough games ahead here, uh, even though on paper it seems like that might not be the case. You don't think the, the, the Florida State game, if Miami rolls into Tallahassee undefeated, I, I, first of all, that'll be the ABC Saturday night game for sure. And Herb Street and his boys will definitely be broadcasting from Manoa Nation over there. But do you think, you don't think that that game in and of itself will have national championship implications? And if and if it does, wouldn't it be just a a, a kick in the groin uh, if the NCAA decides to come out with anything on that week? I, I just have a funny feeling that you know those folks are going to try to throw a monkey wrench in the season at some point if they see. Yeah, and nobody has any nothing. idea when that's going to happen. Really, there's no clue. You know, I heard this week that it might not even be till after the season. So I mean, nobody that is really, such really crap. I know. That is such but, crap. But, but my point is nobody really knows. You know, the, the timeline keeps getting pushed back. Um, you know, initially I thought it might happen around now or maybe a week or so ago. Now we're into October. still hasn't happened. There's, you know, no signs. Penn State gets scholarships back, and, and, and there's still – I don't understand how you decided to touch Penn State before you touch Miami. Well, I think they, you know, they had to clean up Penn State, you know, and and I don't think that that's what's necessarily slowing down Miami. I just think that the NCAA has a lot on its plate right now. Um, it, it's nightmare mode in in Indianapolis, and you know they don't, they're not under time as you know Miami would like for them to be under time pressure, but the reality is they can do whatever they want. They're not under any time pressure, so they could take as much time as they think they need to take to do what they think they need to do to get it right. And that's what they're doing. I appreciate you, as always, Gary. All right, Kwame, thanks for calling. Hopefully um, we'll hear from you again next week. Now let's go out to the um, the 929, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary, what's up? Doing good. How you doing? Who's this? Uh, this is BK Hurricane. 
What's up, BK? What's going on, Garrett? Just a couple of things. I was listening to that previous caller uh, real quick about the NCAA. If they drag this thing out any longer, at what point do you think other programs might say, wait a minute, this is just ridiculous, and, you know, we have to put an end to this because, you know, there's a lot of big-time programs now that are under the microscope. And at what point are these other programs, these ADs, are going to say, you know what, we can't have this happen anymore? With them dragging it out and, you know, you know, and like you said, they could do whatever they want. That that that's kind of that's kind of absurd. Well, they can. <laughs> yeah, you know they can, but you know they, they can. They but can at what point are. is somebody going to say enough is enough? Um, well, I'm I'm sure that you know some people are looking at it with a little bit of horror, but uh, hard to say. You know, a lot of people are predicting reform, and uh, you know, but I I don't know if that's really going to happen. I, I think college football needs an enforcement body. I think if you got rid of the NCAA and had the conferences trying to rule themselves and things like that, that it would be total chaos. Um, even though the NCAA has a lot of work to do, and I think it could be a lot better and do its job much more efficiently, um, I do think they play a role in college sports. It's an unfortunate role, but I think a necessary role. And you know, I'd be surprised if there really were a lot of reform. I think that it'll be more of the NCAA getting its own house in order. Okay, all right. Okay, one other thing. Uh, you know, maybe I'm just being a little greedy, but when are we going to see the tight ends really start to make a bigger impact in the game? I know our wide receivers are some of the best in the country, but I'm, like, really looking forward to seeing our tight ends. You know, like I see offenses like what New England had last year and, you know, what the Saints are doing with Jimmy Graham. I think we have that caliber of tight end on this team. You do, but let me ask you a question. Why? Like, why is that an issue? You know, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, like who are you gonna take falsely greedy, from? You know, <laughs> you know like you're gonna I take said, I'm being greedy. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, who, who, who are you gonna take the balls away from? You know, you're gonna, that's you're gonna take them away from Stacy Coley. That's you're true. Take, that's, you're that's you're gonna take them away from. You're gonna take them away from Alan Hearns. No, you're gonna take them away. You're gonna take them away from Dorsett. You know, I just don't know. You know, the tight ends had three catches in Tampa. Um, you know, I agree it could be more. Um, you know, there will be games where Miami throws the ball more than 32 times. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know this one was in hand, you know, pr- pretty in, pretty early. But, you know, I, I think that there's no real reason to make it an issue. I, th- You know, I think you got to continue running the offense. I think you got to look for where you have matchup um, advantages and take advantage of them. And if, if – if a team shows up with good corners and your advantage is, is Clive Walford against the linebackers, then I think you might see Clive Walford have a five or six catch game at some point here in, during the season. But I'm not sure that they really need to make it a priority just because of how good they are, you know, on the outside. Yeah, sure. Our wide receivers are throwing good. the ball to Duke. You know, <laughs> he's not getting a lot, a lot of burn in the passing game. You know, yeah, that's true. That's but he's coming up as he's seeming like he's pretty. I don't want to say he's fragile, but he's been getting kind of nicked up lately. Maybe they're trying to keep 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 that aspect, you know, you know, like they're trying to protect him a little bit. Well, he had 14 touches in that game the other day, and right. um, you know, I, I would agree with you. You know, I, I think typically they'd like to see him get at least 20. Um, but when you're winning the game the way they were the other day, there's no reason to overfeature Duke. This is not like, hey, let's try to win Duke the Heisman Trophy. I mean, I think this coaching staff really thinks that they can win all these games this year, and they're trying to to do that. And uh, individual agendas are not part of the equation. And 
um, you know, I, I think you're right. I think you got to try to nurse Duke through the season, keep him healthy, keep him from getting too banged up, and uh, they're doing. I, I think that's what they're doing. But I do think, like Clive Walford, there will come a Saturday afternoon here or a Thursday night where the matchups necessitate or provide the opportunity to get Duke involved in the passing game as well. Right, right. Uh, well, I like our chances, like, pretty much going forward with pretty much every team because just based off of I don't think that there is a team left on our schedule that would pers- – you know, that would present us with a defensive matchup like how Florida did, how Florida just totally shut down our passing game. I don't see a team left on our schedule that's capable of doing that. Well, you know, I think Virginia Tech is going to be very tough. you think Virginia Tech is capable of totally shutting down our passing game? I think they're very good on defense, yes. I I I think they had a better defense last year than they had this year, and, you know, we didn't have that hard of a time with them last year. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you still got to go play the game. I, I, I think Virginia Tech. I understand. Yeah, I understand that you still got to play the game, but I just don't see it. You know, like you might, be, you might be as, right. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. Just I'm, you know, totally, they might beat, they might beat Virginia Tech by four touchdowns. I'm just saying, I think Virginia Tech has a good enough defense to present a challenge. Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I've watched them against Alabama. I watched them against um, Georgia Tech the other night. And, yeah, yeah Alabama is struggling very somewhat on offense now for some strange reason. You know, their passing game is yeah. is is you know down a notch this year. You know, I don't know what's going on with those guys, but that's what it appears to be. I don't know, and Alabama figured it out and beat them handily. But you know, I'm just saying, I I, I don't think all these games are going to be as easy as everybody thinks they're going to be. I think no, I'm not saying they're, they're going to be easy, but you know, but just in case if it did come out that these were pretty easy wins, I think I would be pretty much, you know, like wow, I'll be you know, shocked. right? You know, I'd be shocked. Like, are we really this good, or or, or is it that we are in the ACC in a bad in a bad year? Well, I don't you know, think you really we know just totally happens. run through everybody. I'm, I'm gonna start thinking. You know, granted, you know, I'm a diehard Kane fan. I'm like, well, wait a minute, is, is the ACC really this good, or, or did we just catch everybody at the right time? I think there's three really good teams in the ACC: Clemson, Florida State, and Miami. You know, I think everybody else is kind of like in the middle of the pack. You know, they're they're not great teams, but that doesn't mean they can't rise up and play a great game on a given. Uh, Saturday or Thursday night. So, right. you know, honest, uh, the, I'm kind of nervous about hustle. Pittsburgh. Oh, absolutely. Anybody. And that's, that's, and that's at the end of the year is going to be cold. Uh, you know, I'm kind of cold kinda weather. Yeah. Up in Pittsburgh. And yeah, I mean, you don't ever know any of these games. You know, teams can make plays. You can turn the ball over, have a bad day. Coaches can come up with great schemes, wrinkles that give you problems. There's a lot of moving parts in these games. All right, Gary, last question. Um, you know, like um, I think it was last week when Al Golden came out and he had some things to say about Greg Olson. Like, I mean, do you think he's just having a hard time just grasping the college game? which, Or is he just, you know, like transitioning from high school to college and it's pretty much of a – you know, him being homesick, you know, like things of that I, nature. I think he's a freshman that's got to learn what it takes to be a college football player. And and they're trying to accelerate him. That's a kid they want to compete with Ryan Williams for the starting job next year. So they're trying to keep him focused, accelerate him through this year, develop him the best they can without him getting in games, 
and get him ready for spring practice. So they're just trying to stay in his head, that's all. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Gary. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for calling. Hopefully uh, we'll hear from you uh, next week. All right. Now let's go out to the um, 770. You're now live on Kane Sport Live. What's up, Gary? How you doing? Who's this? It's Steve. Steve what, from Atlanta. What, from South what's Ridge. up, Steve? How you doing? What can Hi, we do for you? I'm good. I'm good. I just, I'm going to touch on a few things I heard you guys talking about. And, um... With the tight end, enough balls to go around. I think I don't think that's the um, problem. Taking balls away from other players. I think more if you send the tight end and if you if you watching the game or the coach whoever sending the plays in and you see opportunities to get the tight end open, you should take advantage of it. You know, it's not about taking balls away from nobody. If you can take advantage of getting um, Duke out in space. I think that's what we should be doing. You shouldn't care about who catches how many balls. It's about trying to win the game. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. You know, but you can't do everything every game. You know, that's, I, I think sometimes as fans, you know, everybody expects uh, coordinators to do everything every game, and you just can't do that. No, nah, no, nah, I don't want them to do it every game. I just want them to call the game to win the game. You know what I'm saying? I don't care how many balls Stacey Cooley catch. If you don't catch any, as long as we got the score at the end of the game, says, you know what I'm saying, Miami 10 and the other team 9, or Miami 49 and the other team 48, that's what I'm looking for. And whatever presents us the opportunity to get that done, that's what I would like to see done. You get what I'm saying? I'm totally with you, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, I, and, but I do think a lot of people expect to see everything every game. You can't, you can't take advantage of your wide receiver stable – Throw the ball to the tight end six times. Get Duke three screen passes um, every single game. You just can't do it. Hey, but if you're picking up first downs, you can almost do it. <laughs> hey, you're not going to see more first downs than you saw the other day. They were moving the 411 yards of offense in the first half. I mean, and I think, and I think the tight end caught a few balls. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I don't know if Duke caught one or not. I don't remember, but. You know, hey, it is what it is, but that I would like to see, like I like the guy, I don't know, I think the caller was saying, you know, like, let's say in a big game, like a tight game, you know, uh, I think he just want to know, are we going to use that? Is, it, is that still in our arsenal? Are we just going to oh. put it away and we don't forget about it? I assure everybody, everything is in the arsenal. You know, it's a pro-style offense with a lot of weapons. And you're going to need every one of them over the course of 12 games. That's it. That's it. And another thing, I think Maryland, Maryland, we left Maryland out. I think they're pretty good this year. They put a whooping on West Virginia. And West well, we'll Virginia, find out. We'll find out Saturday, got, won't we? Yeah, we're going to find out. You know, you if they lose, it don't mean they're a bad team if they play a good no, game. But we'll find out how good they are. We'll, yeah. we'll find out how good they are Saturday. And um, about the NCAA with those callers and talking about other presidents going to jump in. Ain't nobody going to come defend, defend Miami. Don't nobody care. It's all it's us against the world, and they need to recognize that. The NCAA, took, the NCAA took care of everybody. They took care of Oregon. They took care of Bo- – they dropped the charges on Boise State. They dropped the charges on um, the guy from Texas A&M. Ohio State is done. Penn State got done twice. 
Everybody out there who was in trouble, now they're taking care of other schools who done got in trouble after us. So this is, I think it's a vendetta against us, and ain't nobody coming to our aid except our lawyers and Dr. Shalala. So that's all I got to say. All right. Leave me all uplifted to you online. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, as always, appreciate your call. And hope that you'll uh, call us again uh, in the future, next week, uh, or even later in the show if you want. All right, um, we're going to be joined in a few minutes by Jason Stam. He's with Okiehaven.com. And the reason I want to bring Jason on the show tonight is I think he can give us some insight into why Virginia Tech was so successful defending this Georgia Tech offense last Thursday night, a game that I'm sure many of you saw on national television. But before we get to Jason, I, I, I found some absolutely phenomenal audio with Bud Foster, Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator, talking about the challenge of playing uh, Georgia Tech. And I want to play that first, and then we'll get to Jason Stam. Said and done, you know, and uh, luckily for us, and I'll say this, I think it's totally absurd, ludicrous, you guys can quote me, whoever scheduled this game, whether it's TV, whether it's, it's it's totally, you know, it's not right. You know, if they're looking for safety of the kids, this is not right, especially in a game with this kind of opponent or you're playing off of a, you know, off a short week and, you know, it's, it's just not right. And I'm not saying we should always have seven or eight days to prepare, prepare for Georgia Tech. I'm just saying I don't care who it is. It's not fair for Georgia Tech to turn around and play us. It's not fair for – I'm just – I don't think it's right. You know, especially if we're playing on the road, you know, too, which is, it's, you know, it's crazy. But anyway, that's my, I'm blowing, you know, I'm letting off some steam. So. You, you think Thursday so there's there's night games you should always have a bye going into I think so. I think so. I, I don't think, it, I mean, I don't, I, there's no question about it in my opinion. So, but that's here nor there. So I just blew up. You guys have to put that out there. <laughs> I'm just, but, I, you know, but I know. You got to have something to write. <laughs> Why do you think, in, especially in the past few years, you've had success? I mean, well, you know, they gain yards, but they haven't been able to score. Well, they're going to gain yards now, man. You know, yeah. that's what they do. Uh, I mean, they're going to gain. What we've been able to do the last couple of years is not give up the explosive plays. You know, the year that we got beat down there in 2009, you know, in the first half, we played probably as good a defense, I mean, in that first half. I mean, we played great. I think they might have had 80 yards total offense, and one of those was a 50-yard pass play. But that one play was a touchdown, you know. And uh, uh, but that's what you can. And in the second half, they, we gave up some explosive plays, and uh, that's kind of when we went and really went and studied those guys, you know, and talked to some people that just different things. And we really kind of we we were running our old techniques and stuff, and then we've kind of gone to this other the, the technique that we play right now. Um, you know, and luckily the last three years we've had some time to prepare for them a little bit. You know, and that's I think why you look at probably their bowl success or maybe lack thereof. You know, they have they have they is people have more time to prepare for it too. You know, in a short week it's impossible. And it's not so much your your option principles. It's getting the scout team and getting them coming off the ball with the mindset that they're going to be coming off the, the speed and the tempo of the backs. You know, all that, that surge that they're coming off with, that's what you're, it's hard to simulate. And that's where, you know, before you know it, they've marched it down the field on you. And, you know, and you might have played great defense in second and five, you know, or second and four, 
you know, that kind of thing. And that's where the last couple of years we've played. It's been second and nine, second and eight. We've, you know, we've made them, we've kept them behind their, their, I think their plan, you know, a lot of third and six or more, you know, and not a lot of third and four or less because then you start getting into two down territory and stuff like that, you know what I mean? And that's, we've been able to do that. And, um, that's been a part of our success right there. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine they put new wrinkles into this offense every year. What do you see from them this season? Well, they're running a little bit of diamond stuff. They ran, and, they, you know, I'm sure they're going to add another wrinkle to it. You know, they ran a trap the first uh, game. They ran a little power read with it. And now I'm sure they've got a you know triple option off of it, too, I would think. And, uh, but that's something. You know, last year we, we were prepared for the kind of the spread look. You know, we kind of we heard through the grapevine. And, uh you know, we didn't. We haven't seen anything. We went on the internet and just kind of we looked at high school film and stuff like that. You know, and just all the different kind of plays. But it was stuff that we practiced that they ran. You know, and uh, what high uh, school film? Oh, I don't know. It was, we just got on the just internet. Like and we just, we just typed in yeah, spread offense and spread bone or whatever. <laughs> we did it. And uh, but uh, you know, there. I think uh, we've got to really look early. <laughs> how they're going to, uh, any new schemes they're going to use against us, whether they switch block to try to tie our ends up, you know, block down and pull a guy around. They're trying to load on our mic with the slot back. I mean, there's there's different ways right now in our mindset um, that I'm anticipating some potential things. They have not always shown that. They've done it at different times, but it's once in a blue moon on certain things how they block it. But uh, if they can, if they do it consistently, we've got to make some. We'll be ready to make some adjustments, with, you know, with that. But uh, you know, that's we just got to be sound in our option principles. Or you know, who's got dive? Who's got quarterback? Who's your pitch player? We've got to we we've got to stay on our feet because they they're they're probably as good at chopping. I'm not just their you know there's they've been known up front, but I mean on the perimeter they do a great job on you know our, our linebackers, our corners, our you know, we've got to do a good job keeping our feet and, and you know, staying on our feet right there and how does, keeping our leverage. How does Vad Lee compare to their past quarterbacks? You know, very similar to what I've seen. You know, we've only seen, you know, we, we, he didn't play much, you know, against us, if any of them. I can't remember. Now, we've looked at that game. I've looked at so much film that, you know, you kind of lose track. They're all kind of the same. A little bit. Goal line a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, he's, uh, to me, he's a, he's, a, he's a similar guy to what they had last year, I think. You know, maybe a little more accurate thrower, um, and that seems like that's something that they're doing a little bit more. There's a little more play action pass and stuff with this guy, and they've always done it on first and ten to start a drive. That's kind of been their, you know, coming out in his mo a little bit. That's when they take a shot. You know, they do it on first and ten to start, and then after that, it's you know they're about 85% run to pass, if not higher. You know, and uh, until you get to third downs, but. Um, uh, I, that's what I've seen. I've seen a little. I think he's a little more accurate. I, I, you know, the last two guys, Nesbitt and um, was it Washington? Yeah. You know, he. Had, I think they both had live arms. You know, this kid just seems to be a little bit more um, accurate. You know what I'm seeing? I know you hate five. Goes without saying, you hate five days in between last game and this particular game. But do you do you look forward to a game like this in particular just because it's a it's a serious challenge to what you have to do as a coach. Well, I don't look at it. It's not so I mean, much. It's it's not about me. You know, it's not much about me. It's getting our kids ready to play. I mean, they're the ones that have a chance to, you know, know uh, they're going to play, not me. I mean, I've got to do a challenge to prepare them and, and, and get our scout teams and 
get all that whole thing. That's where the challenge comes in, get that all the pieces in the puzzle to work together to get it going in that right direction. Um, you know, obviously we, we've got to go in the mindset that it's going to be a 60-minute fist fight. I mean, that's how it's been. I mean, since 2004, or, two, you know, we won in 2004, but since 2005, you know, in the ACC when they've done split divisions, it's been us or them. You know, and this game's been critical. Last year was the first time in those that time that we didn't win that we probably didn't go to the championship game. Um, you know, and if we took care of business last year, we I mean we're we're there. I mean, you know, because we we had to, you know, we were the head the head deal. If we just take care of business, we were going to be back in it again. Um, but point being is this this has been a big big game. You know, and so um, it'll be a big game. First conference game. First conference game on the road, you know, and that's if we're going to be successful, we got to win on the road. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we're, we have growing pains on the other side, but we've we've got to. It's not about them. We've got to get off the field and give them the ball. You know, is what we've got to do. You know, and uh, that's kind of been been our success against them the last couple of years. We've gotten off the field. Our offense has at least controlled the clock, kind of like what they've done, really. You know, against East Carolina and. and uh, uh, you know, in that game a little bit. You know, we've just we need to you know we need to get off the field, get the ball back to our offense. They need to control. That's always been kind of our success. We we got to be able to control the ball offensively a little bit, and um, obviously it helps to put points on the board too. Because if you can get them behind, that changes their mindset a little bit. If they're ahead, man, they're just going they're just going to keep coming off that ball and make it a clock game and and uh, just kind of wear you down that way. You know, so. It's, it's kind of a chess match that way, but it, we've got to have some help too, you know. And um, you know, if we can create some turnovers or get the ball on the ground, you know, that's one thing that they've done a great job of. I, they're not as much triple option as, as they are more double meaning as the quarterback. You know, they're going to give it, and they give a lot of gives to the, that. And their, their reads are midline, or it's going to be keeper pitch. You know, there's very little triple option anymore because the, they just too much opportunity to put the ball on the ground, you know, you don't see them turning it over like they did maybe when they first started, you know, in, you know, with Paul, you know, when they, where they turn it over is probably when they pitch it, you know, that's when there's the ball's been on the ground, if you can get some pressure on the quarterback and, uh, you know, alter that, that pitch relationship. Noticed uh, Trimble was in blue earlier this week, what's your thinking at the whip there? Oh, uh, right now, options. we're going to go into this game uh, with Kyle Fuller is our you know he's played that spot for us. Uh, we're going to put our two, you know, our freshman corners are going to be out there. You know, I don't care that being me and out there. Those guys have played good football right now. Um, you know, obviously that's a tremendous challenge for them because they're going to get, you know, they're going to be on, you know, they're going to take some shots on them, I'm sure. But you know, we mix up our coverages too. Sometimes we're playing quarters. Sometimes we're playing, you know, uh, hard, you know. More safety's over the top, you know, though it's just for the run fits and some of the different things. But, um, um, you know, that's just Kyle's had that experience. You know, he played that position two years ago, and then GW played it last year. And uh, so, get back. Just in a short week, we're trying to just keep as much of our continuity with what we've done with this scheme in the past. And we've got. Everybody that's playing in this game, for the most part, other than our two corners, have played in this game for the last three years. So I, I'm hoping the experience factor in a short week is going to also help us, you know, because it's just hard to simulate this offense, you know, it is, and get all the different looks 
that you'll want in you know three days. On that same, sorry, on that same page, Jack Tyler was saying how he's played them so many times it's almost like second nature. Do more of the veterans kind of teach the young kids in this game more than usual? Well, yeah, I mean, y y yes and no. You know, the young guys, and I told them out there, this is such a, this is such a um, technique-oriented scheme that we run here with this game. Right. I mean, there's a lot of little things that we're doing that's totally different than what we do on regular offenses. That if a young guy is not ready to play, he's not going to play. You know, that's kind of why we put J.R. Collins in the last, you know, two years ago down there. We had Luther Matty couldn't play this technique, this one technique we were playing. If he couldn't, they were going to wear us out, you know. So, and that, that has nothing to do that these guys aren't good football players. They're just not experienced enough. We probably need to have a little more time with those guys to prepare them for. You know, and that'll be something we'll have to look at, you know, in spring practice, um, you know, even in fall practice, going into getting some of those younger guys next year when we're losing some experience to get those techniques that we've got to spend some more time with. But um, and in a short week of this week, it was hard. Now we practiced. You know, we've had a couple nights that um, a couple Sundays that we took time here previously to work Georgia Tech. You know, the previous three weeks, and um, you know, we first week was just kind of technique stuff. Uh, we kind of the next week was introducing a couple things, you know. So this is, but it was just we weren't in pads and full go. You know, it was just more, you know, the principles and all those type of things, option fits and you know key reads and those type of things. But we've tried to throw it up to them as much as possible. That's that's a good question. Those guys are trying to help them, but they've got to get out and do it too. You know, so we've had nothing but team times all week. You know, on this was just our second practice, but we've gone. She's almost an hour a day of just team time, you know, which, you know, we really, if we took a couple of periods yesterday of technique and fundamental stuff, but then we've just gone all team. That's kind of the more reps you can get with this offense, the better. So that, that I think, you know, we've got to have reps, 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 reps. You ever do that before with the Sundays for an opponent? No, we haven't, the other than these guys. You know, this is kind of the first we've done it. And it's kind of just because they're a unique um, deal. And I tell you what, I've got the utmost respect for Paul and, what they do, they're, they're tough, they're hard-nosed, um, you know, he, he knows that offense and he's seen every wrinkle against it and, you know, and he's, he does a good job of countering, you know, and it's, you know, and that's where we've got to do a good job of seeing how they're going to attack us and how we counter, you know, and that's. All right, that was Bud Foster, Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator, and I wanted to play that tonight because I, was just enamored by the, by that interview and how candid he was and and detailed in what goes through the mind of a defensive coordinator. What Mark D'Onofrio of Miami is going through this week in getting his football team ready to play against the Paul Johnson offense. And you know, I know a lot of fans out there are expecting this to be a walk in the park, but I think if you listen to Bud Foster, who's one of the top defensive coordinators in college football, talk about what he went through last week getting ready to play that football game. Um, I think you might change your mind a little bit, and I think you also might understand why the odds makers in Vegas keep bringing that line down and why it's now in the four and a half to five area. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in Jason Stam from HokieHaven.com, who covers Virginia Tech. He, he covered that Virginia Tech-Georgia Tech football game last week and is very well equipped to talk to us tonight about 
why Virginia Tech has been able to have such great success against Georgia Tech. And I think you'll find some a lot of synergies to what Miami has experienced over the past few years in figuring out how to defend this offense and then having success against it. You'll remember the first time or two that Miami played Georgia Tech, it was tough sledding. Um, but back then, Randy Shannon was the head coach. He put a lot of time into studying um, Georgia Tech and, and, and figured it out. And in the last couple of years of Shannon, Miami started to have success. And then D'Onofrio has come in and carried that forward. Um, you heard Bud Foster talk about how he studied that Paul Johnson offense during the offseason. I'm sure that applies to Coach D'Onofrio. Talked to a lot of people around college football, shared ideas on exactly what to do against Georgia Tech. Um, he talked about the time it takes to prepare. This is not a one- or two-day uh, project to get your team ready to play Georgia Tech. I'm sure Miami has spent time on this offense in spring practice. I'm sure, like Virginia Tech, they have found some moments to spend here this fall, whether it be on Sundays um, or whenever they could work it in on a Friday or you know, or things along those lines. I think you heard him talk about the importance of the scout team and how critical it is to be able – to put together a quality scout team that can replicate to the best of their ability that Georgia Tech offense. Um, like, you know, for example, this week you've got Corn Elder, a cornerback, going over to help the uh, scout team, and he's actually playing quarterback on the scout team and um, trying to replicate what Vad Lee does uh, for Georgia Tech. Um, he, you heard Bud Foster talk about tightening up his rotations. I think you saw that from Mark D'Onofrio last year in this Georgia Tech ball game. Guys like Tracy Howard uh, did not get on the field. Um, you, you heard him talk about the experience factor, being able to play guys that have competed against this offense before. I think you'll see a lot of that on Saturday. And he talked about the key of having the right personnel in the ball game who could play the technique necessary to stop this offense. And um, and Jason Stam, I'm sure you could give us some lessons on. Um, you know how important it is, um, and and how different of a defense teams have to play to adapt and be able to stop this Georgia Tech offense. Well, yeah, and you know, in Virginia Tech's case, and I, mean, I think this is about everybody's case. I mean, you know, they they're not going to face another offense that's anywhere close to what they saw in Georgia Tech the rest of the season. Um, you know, they're in a stretch right now. After they they just paid, played a couple of spread teams, they're back playing more spread teams, so. Um, this was definitely a big chase, change of pace for them, and um, definitely with a short week. I mean, I think it benefits Miami for them playing them on a full week, but um, or in between games. But you know, Georgia, Virginia Tech had had them playing on a short week, and so um, you know, partly because of that, and partly just because of of the different, um, you know, again, the different offense, the different schemes that they run. Uh, you know, for the past three weeks leading up to. The Thursday night's game in Atlanta, uh, you know, Virginia Tech spent you know an hour of practice working on nothing but Georgia Tech and nothing but getting ready for that type. So they were they were very prepared when it came to Thursday night. Well, I think it showed. You know, in a short week, they held Georgia Tech to 273 yards. Uh, I mean, a stunning 129 yards on the ground. Uh, I mean, I I think obviously the preparation was the important factor there. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, that and, you know, there's also, you know, and how they approached it. I mean, you know, uh, Virginia Tech always uses a whip linebacker. Um, that being kind of like a, you know, he's kind of like a hybrid uh, linebacker and hybrid um, defensive back. Uh, but against Virginia Tech, they, they didn't use a whip. They Instead, they pretty much 
stayed in a nickel base the entire game. Not only they played the whip, you know, maybe a couple of plays, but it was pretty much just all nickel. So, uh, you know, that way it allowed the, the, your defensive, their, their defensive backs to get to the outside. You've got more guys, fast guys, who, you know, if they, they pitch outside in that triple option, you've got more guys who can chase down the, the ball carrier and get to them a lot quicker than a linebacker could. So uh, Kyle Fuller was that guy who played um, in that, uh, again, kind of like a whip. It wasn't really a whip for against Georgia Tech. I mean, normally that would be a, another linebacker there. But I think that also made a difference just having, you know, some speedier guys and some, um, more defensive backs out on the field. But, you know, even up front, I mean, I know – just, I guess it's a lot because of this, that option they have the quick handoff. But, um, you know, I was I was amazed that Virginia Tech only had one sack after the game. I think they had seven tackles for loss officially, um, but they were constantly in the backfield. They were constantly getting through that, that line, through the penetration there and, um, you know, really disrupting what Vad Lee was trying to do the whole game. I, I, they were very effective with blitzes. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was constantly blitzing and um, – yeah, I, I, when we, you know, kind of going into that game, you know, the, the two linebackers who did play, Jack Tyler and Tariq Edwards, I think it was um, – I, I really thought it was going to be big games for both of them because if, if they can get past that first blitz, um, you know, then, you know, they were going to be set up for a lot of tackles. But even Jack Tyler blitzed on, on a number of occasions. So, um, yeah, they, they did a really good job of, of uh, you know, holding their gaps but also – you know, picking the right time to blitz. I mean, they had a couple of wide-open shots to quarterback, again, kind of on, on design runs that weren't credited sacks, but um, really knew when to break through and really knew when to um, to hold their, their positions. Now, the other thing I noticed was Virginia Tech got just absolutely phenomenal, tough, hard-nosed play out of its defensive tackles in that ball game, and, and, and to me, that's a huge key to stopping Georgia Tech. Yeah, it really is. You know, they uh, they've had the benefit of some very good um, defensive line play this year. I mean, Derek Hopkins has been a, just an absolute stud and up, you know, on the in, interior line for Virginia Tech. But um, you know, that and then the, the ends really didn't have a, a whole lot um, as far as stats or anything else this game. But um, definitely inside. I mean, Derek Hopkins had seven sacks for him. Luther Matty had five. So two of their top three tacklers were those two interior linemen. So. Um, you know, again, if they're not pitching it outside, they're going to run it up the gut. So they uh, they were definitely uh, keyed in on on what to expect with with that option. Now, all the hype I've heard on Georgia Tech in the off season has been about their improved passing game and Bad Lee and how much more efficient of a passer he's purported to be than the last couple guys that held down that position. Um, but he was just seven of twenty four for one hundred and forty four yards against that Virginia Tech defense last week. Um, before we let you go, um, talk a little bit about what Virginia Tech did in the passing game that allowed them to have success. And uh, I'll also note that they had two interceptions in the ball game. Yeah, you know, and, and they just, they, they stayed, they were they played, you know, man coverage and, and um, just stuck with their man. I mean, once they, he did drop back to pass, I mean, you know, least biggest pass of the game was a 40-yard pass to the, to the running back who was just running a, a seam route right down the middle, um, and he and Lee threw off his back foot. So, you know, talking about 40 of that 144 yards passing came off of maybe not a fluke play, but it wasn't just a typical play. So, um, you know, they just did, they did a good job um, of again staying with their man, but also you know the pre- the pressure up front was um, you know 
know, it was was definitely kind of I think it rattled Lee pretty much the entire game. I mean, again, he had one sack credited that Virginia Tech was credited for against him, but um, I think with uh, against any other team that probably would have been about at least four or five different sacks. But um, you know, it, they just did a really good job of of staying with their man, but again, also keeping pressure on Lee the, the entire game. He's Jason Stam from HokieHaven.com, and uh, Jason, thanks a lot for joining us tonight and giving us a little insight, and I guess uh, we'll be catching up with you again uh, for a countdown to kickoff show uh, the first week of November as uh, Miami gets ready to host another game here at Sun Life Stadium with Virginia Tech, so uh, we'll see what happens with both teams moving forward and, and how that goes, and um, we'll look forward to talking to you again a month from now. Thank you, Jason. Sounds good. Thanks, Gary. All right, that's one hour down, one more to go on Kane Sport Live, the fastest two hours in Hurricane Sports. And what we're going to do now is we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to talk recruiting. And um, you guys remember the last couple of weeks we had Keenan Codrington, who's a Southeast analyst for Rivals.com on our show, gave us great insight into what he was seeing around the southern part of the state of Florida. Well, today we're going to go a little bit national for you. And we're going to bring in Mike Farrell, the national recruiting analyst for Rivals.com, the guy that oversees the entire recruiting team that uh, assigns rankings to all these great high school players all over the country. And um, Mike's always full of knowledge and insight, and he'll take a few of your calls if you would like. The call-in number is 646-595-2048, So if you've got a recruiting question right now, Call in, talk to Mike, and then when we're done with Mike, we'll get back to some of the other issues facing the Hurricanes here this week. Mike, how you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Oh, we're doing good. Doing good. A lot of excitement down here. Um, as you know, Miami has started out their season 4-0, and um, had a big win over the Florida Gators, and then a couple workmanlike victories over Florida Atlantic, Savannah State, South Florida, and now the um, meat of that ACC schedule is uh coming with Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Florida State, Virginia Tech. So it's going to be an exciting month of October going into November for Miami football. But um, what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is with this 4-0 start and Miami clearly on its way to a season of great forward progress, how do you see that impacting their recruiting around the country on a national level? Well, I think we've already seen it a little bit. Um, you know, everything as you mentioned, forward. Everything in, in recruiting is now moving forward, you know. The Miami class for 2014 is almost full. Um, you know, they've got a few guys out there. Uh, you know, Johnny Dixon, I think, is, is one of the playmakers they'd really love to have in this class. But, you know, you, you already have to look forward to 2015, and it's it's just turned October. Um, and I think, you know, all those kids that are watching, uh, you know, that are that are playing junior football, are paying attention to Miami and, and watching the swagger that's back. You know, I mean, the, the Florida victory was extremely important in state, um, you know, beating the Gators, sending that message saying, hey, you know, Miami's back. We're, we're the best team in the state of Florida. Uh, and it's going to be equally important for them to hit this ACC schedule, which I, I think is a pretty good one. You know, I mean, I, I don't see a whole lot of powerhouse football teams except for, you know, Florida State on this schedule here. So I think they can have a big year um, as long as they play up to their potential and, and it's going to affect the young guys. So, you know, everybody's talking about Miami right now, you know, the focus on Florida is on how bad the offense is. The focus on Florida state is certainly 
you know, question marks a little bit on defense, but Jameis Winston is getting all the attention there. But with Miami, uh, it's really overall youth and, and, and the team experience right now, and I think it's a divine under it. Even though the NCAA hasn't ruled yet, does it, does it seem to you that Miami is behind all of the negative recruiting that it's endured the past couple of years? I think they are finally behind it. You know, I think people are just, like, so tired of waiting for the NCAA to rule um, that, you know, Miami is self-sanctioned. You know, it's really the specter of it is, is no longer there. Now, again, the, the NCAA is so unpredictable. We saw with the Penn State situation last week, um, you know, and, and so unfair in many different circumstances that they could come down with a ruling at any time, uh, and it could be nothing or it could be something serious. But I don't think recruits are paying attention to that anymore. And honestly, I think the NCAA has hurt their, their credibility uh, with recruits when it comes to these type of things. You know, uh, Penn State is a great example. I mean, they, they, they laid the hammer on Penn State. Uh, and then they sort of took it back. So even when, if they do do something to Miami, which we all know they probably will eventually, uh, you know, you could still work around it and say, well, listen, we're going to appeal that, you know, and we'll get those scholarships back and we'll get this back and, and that back. Look at what happened at Penn State. So uh, I think it, the move past it for sure. Kids don't talk about it nearly as much as they did the first couple of years. Now, how about these coaching shakeups going on around the country and you know, some of the ones that have taken place, like USC, some of the ones being rumored, like a Texas. How is that affecting recruiting at the national level, and what impact might that have with Miami? Well, I think the biggest thing to watch here is the, the domino effect, if it occurs. You know, if, if USC goes out and steals uh, Kevin Sumlin away from Texas A&M, you know, uh, then you've got a domino effect. Okay, who fills that position? You know, if, if Texas goes out and, and gets a coach that's currently a head coach at, at a major university, who fills that role? And, and I think that's the only way you'd really see it affect Miami. Um, obviously, Al Golden is a tremendous coach. He's going to be mentioned in, I think, every opening that's out there. And I think that's, that's flattering not only to the Miami football program, but to him and the job that he's done at Miami, persevering through all this. But overall, I don't see it affecting because I really think USC is probably going to reach into the pros to get their guy, and Texas might do the same thing. So I think this offseason will actually be, you know, pretty tame compared to previous offseasons when it comes to a lot of coaching changes. And, and I think that will be good for Miami because right now they're on a roll. You know, they don't need anything to sort of distract them, and it really doesn't affect their recruiting areas. They don't hit Texas and California that hard. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing right now is more about keeping the class together than it is about worrying about any coaching changes around the country. We're joined by Mike Farrell, the National Recruiting Analyst for Rivals.com. And, Mike, what did you look at this Miami commitment list, which is you know 25 strong uh, right now? What goes through your mind? What are your thoughts on where Miami is right now in recruiting? I know, you know, number four – um, actually, no, I, I take that back. It's now dropped to number six in the team rankings as other teams have built their commitment lists. Um, but when you look at, at Miami's recruiting right now, what, what comes to mind? Well, you know, I mean, it, it's a large class. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those classes that, you know, was up in the top five. Now, as you mentioned, it's six. Unless they add guys that are of high point value, and our point system really takes out the – 
you know, any sort of sub- subjectivity of the process. It's not like I can just say, okay, Miami's number four and Georgia's number eight. And, you know, that's how I've always done it at Rival. Uh, it's based on the recruits you get uh, and the point value there. You know, so it's a class that's going to slowly slide down um, unless they add some big, big name guys. And I, I really don't think, you know, they're going to do that. I think they could get Johnny Dixon. You know, uh, they could get Moten. They could get some guys, but those guys are going to push them up only slightly. So I think it's probably going to be a top 15 class in the country. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see where it finishes in state compared to Florida. Obviously, Florida is, is at 18 right now, but they've got a lot of room to fill, and Florida State is at 24 like Miami is. But I look at the defensive side of the ball here and, and how good this class is, the defensive back, and along the defensive line especially. The D-line is really what stands out to me. You've got guys with untapped potential like Demetrius Jackson are just starting to play into their own and, and certainly moving up uh, in our rankings the next time around uh, because he was a guy who didn't play football. And now we've seen him, and he's really good. Chad Thomas, I think, is a, a, a franchise type of defensive lineman. The kid's playing defensive tackle this year uh, without a complaint, even though he's, a, he's an edge guy. Uh, and he's a tremendous football player. The big question I have, and I love the running backs too, the, you know, the one-two combination of Avery and Powell. Uh, the big question mark I have is wide receiver. That's why Johnny Dixon is extremely important for them to get. Um, you know, in quarterback, because that UCLA thing is out there with Brad Kaya, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because UCLA is in panic mode right now. Hunley's probably going to the NFL. They didn't offer a lot of kids in this class early because they were looking at the 2015 class, which is loaded out west. Now they're panicking. They're coming hard after this California kid and saying, don't go across the country to Miami. Come here, you know, be humbly, lead us to a Pac-12 title. So Miami's going to really have to fight, I think, to keep him, him in the class. And, and the Rozier kid, obviously, we know is a very good baseball player. So that's where I wonder where plan B is if Kaya leaves. But other than that, O-line class is great as well. I, I think it's really hit a lot of, a lot of needs this class. Well, I'm not sure there is a plan B at quarterback, to be honest with you. And um, you know, but I, I think that you know, you you made some good points about Miami in the rankings. And what you know, I wonder, you know, when I look at the chart, you know, you see all the three stars on there. You also see a couple two stars. I think Demetrius Jackson will, without question, move up to a three star if he doesn't, and if he continues the way he's going, he might even entice you guys by the end of the year. Um, to look at him as a potential four-star. And, and then, you know, Dennis Turner, to me, is a, is a two-star guy. I wonder, you know, if he's going to stick. You don't really know. Um, so, you know, I, I think um, Treon Gray is another one that may or may not, you know, stick long-term. So even though you got 24 guys on there right now, looking towards a possible target of about 30, you know, there could be a little bit of fluctuation in there between now and, and signing day that, you know, we'll obviously keep an eye on. Um, hey, how's Al, uh, Al Golden perceived on the national stage as a coach and recruiter? He's a tremendous recruiter. It, it, I got a question for you before I get to Al Golden, because you know, through the years, even when Al got that job, I reached out to you and I said, listen, you guys are getting a tremendous recruiter. Um, you know, having known him at, at, at Boston College, at Penn State, at, at Virginia, Temple, you know, followed his career from the very beginning um, and knowing what type of energy he brings to recruiting. But, you know, I, I'm curious about Treon Harris, and, and you can sort of fill me in a little bit more because you're down there. 
Uh, I love him as a quarterback. And, you mean Trayon Gray? I, you know, uh, oh, no, Trayon, no, 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 like Booker T, I'm Harris, sorry. From okay, Booker no, T. I'm with you. Okay, you know, I'm they've with got you. The, they've got the pipeline going at Booker T. This is a kid that's five foot ten. Okay, that's the problem. But a tremendous, I mean, so accurate, tremendous quarterback guy. I wonder, you know, you mentioned there's no plan B. I wonder if they would go after him. So I'm just curious well, they about might, that. You know, if if Akaya were to drop off, you know, you never know. You know, they they could go after him. They could potentially even, you know, look back at Alan Edward, although i got to believe that there might be enough bridges burned there at this point where that wouldn't be reality. But, uh, you know, th- those would be two possible plan Bs if Kaya falls apart. But I don't think they think Kaya is going to fall apart. I think they feel pretty good um, about where they are right now with Kaya. He certainly has said all the right things. He he very much has, has given James Coley the impression yep. he's coming to Miami. So I think yep. right now they're counting on Kaya sticking. Yeah, and I think they should. You know, I mean, he's the type of kid that's not going to really get involved in this during his season. He's so focused on the season and He's not going to play around with this stuff. You know, he got the offer, obviously, from UCLA, but he's not a kid that would just, like, flip. You know, this would be something that would happen, you know, late and it would be a battle if it did. And and the only question is, the you know, the proximity, being the California kid and all that. But he does have a right. great relationship with Coley. Um, you know, that, that, like I said, that's just the one area I worry about because I know how desperate UCLA is to get him on board and get him in there. So, But as far as Al Golden as a national recruiter, I mean, his reputation was made early at Boston College. He went into New Jersey and – and stole some guys out of there that they had really no business getting um, and, and continued that, you know, Penn State, UVA. Uh, at Temple, he didn't recruit the same level of guys, but what he did was he found guys that fit his system and turned them into, you know, three- and four-star guys that were just overlooked. And I think there's a good mix here. But the one thing I see in this class, you know, that that I didn't see – First of all, it's, it's a very Florida-heavy class, and I think that's extremely important. I don't think they honestly need to go up into New Jersey or Pennsylvania or, or up into the Northeast unless it's spot recruiting offensive linemen or, or you know, just guys that, that those areas are known for. I know they get Cortell Jenkins on there, and he's a pretty good player, but stick to Florida for now and then work your way out from there, and he's done a great job doing that this year. Um, and the other thing is there are very few reaches in this class. And by reaches, I mean guys that you just sort of scratch your head and say, why is Miami, the U, taking this kid? And I haven't seen that this year. And, and I, I will say under Randy Shannon and, and under Al Golden in the beginning, there are a few guys where I just sort of scratch my head and say, why? I don't see that this year. And I think that's important to this class. But he's a tremendous recruiter, high-energy guy. He knows more about the recruits than they know about themselves, and he's very creative. Um, he does a lot of homework. So when it comes time in December and January to get into those living rooms, uh, that's where he does very well. And, and obviously he's good at recovering, too, because the whole Booker T situation that happened last year, flipping that around, getting that back, is just so important to Miami football, and he was able to do that. So, you know, I think even if you do end up in a, in a difficult situation, Al Golden can get you out of it. Yeah, I mean, great, great points. Uh, Mike Farrell, National Recruiting Analyst, Rivals.com, joining us on Kane Sport Live. Mike, we have a couple people on the lines that are interested in, in maybe talking a little bit of recruiting. Do you have a few more minutes for us? Yep. All right, then um, let's take a shot at that. Let's go out right now to the 347, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. How you doing tonight? Hey, hey, Gary, this is uh, Kwame again. I heard you had Mike Farrell. I had to call back. 
Yep, he's here. Go ahead. He's all yours. A uh, quick question for you. Um, I guess I'm the letter for that groupie for the past couple of weeks, but you know I've been talking to Mike and ask, uh, excuse me, Gary, and asking him about this visit um, that he has slated. No, he only he slimmed his list, uh, official visit list for five, and Miami's one of them. You know, what are you hearing about Fernet? Uh, is he a lot for LSU, or is he actually open to see what Miami has to offer? And then with um, uh, Demetrius Jackson, you know, how high is he going to elevate uh, the whole Miami class? Because the kid, from what I see, has nine sacks in, what, five games or something like that? Uh, for a kid who this is his first year playing since what, Optimus Ball, that's that's – that's shocking to me, especially given in the division that he's playing in with all those powerhouses in Central and Northwestern. Um, and also, I just I guess I want to touch on the wide receiver spot. How solid is Ehrman Lane to Florida? I read somewhere where he's, you know, asking people to still recruit him. But, you know, how, I know nothing is final until February. But what are you hearing on those three topics? Burnett? Uh, how high is uh, Demetrius Jackson going to jump in your next uh, uh, rivals uh, listing? And um, the issue with Ermin Lane and how solid is he? Yeah, Ermin Lane is, you know, I mean, obviously you said it right. I mean, you know, nothing's final until February. Um, you know, there was some talk after Miami beat Florida and not how poor the Florida offenses looked that Ermin Lane was a guy that, that did, you know, inquire about visiting Miami. I think he's in play. Um, a lot of people will tell you that he's not and, and, and that he's going to be a Gator. And You know, I think we're going to wait and see. Um, he's an interesting kid. You know, he was originally supposed to go to Alabama. That was that was all the talk early. And, uh, you know, he ended up committing to Florida. But I think he's in play. Now, in play means, you know, you've got a 20% chance. It's not like it's 50-50. It's not like, you know, he's going to flip. But I think if you get him on campus, uh, and whoever it is, it might not just be Miami. Obviously, everybody's recruiting the kids. You you have a chance there because I don't think he's married. I think he's engaged, but I don't think he's married. Um, when it comes to Jackson, as far as his potential, you know, I, I've talked this over with Keenan um, Codrington, and you know, we've watched a lot of Booker T film. And obviously, you know, he's he's he's, he's certainly getting the benefit of having having Chad Thomas on that defensive line. Let, let's not joke about that. I mean, Chad Thomas is playing inside, taking up blockers so that guys like Demetrius Jackson can make plays, but he's making plays. That's the important part. You could have a guy on the outside who has no idea what he's doing uh, and not be able to do that. Now, is he an edge guy? No, not yet. You know, does he really know football at this point in time? You know, does he know, you know, when not to over-pursue, when not to take an outside edge, when to you know, string plays out, when to, when to turn guys inside so his help can get there. He doesn't know all the nuances of football yet, but he's an athletic kid. He's long, and he can get after the passer. So, you know, right now we're talking about the, the high, mid to high three-star range. And as Gary said, I think somebody's going to pick this kid up for an all-star game. I think, you know, whether it's a local all-star game or whether it's an offense-defense type or, or semper-fi type, I think somebody's going to pick him up, and we're going to get to see him go against a, a, a high-caliber, uh, you know, offensive line group from around the country and then really get to compare them. So that would be where I think he would be reaching the four-star status. And for that, you know, I'm going to be flat honest with everybody. I, I don't think 
this is really going to be, I'm going to take all five official visits. I'm going to do, I think he's going to LSU. Uh, you know, if he doesn't go to LSU, I think it's going to be Alabama. I think everybody else is going to take their best shot. If they can get him on campus, and he's very difficult to get on campus, um, then you've got a chance to change his mind. But I don't think anybody should get their hopes up about this uh, if you're a Miami fan. Everything I've been told is that LSU, unless they really screw this up, Leonard Fournette's probably going to end up there. Appreciate you, Mike. All right, right, thanks for calling. You know, wow, you know, you you look at LSU and the talent that they're stockpiling, you know, forget what they already have. I mean, the the talent in Louisiana this year and and what they're stockpiling with, you know, they they also just got a commitment uh, from Davin Gadshaw, who. You know, we saw in Chicago at the Rivals Five Star Challenge, and uh, he really jumped out at me. I thought he was an absolute freak, and um, he also is saying that he's going to visit Miami. So you got Gadshaw, you got Fournette, both saying they're going to visit Miami, two of the top recruits in the country. Um, do you think there's any level of serious there, Mike, or are these just celebrity visits going to you know hang out on South Beach? Well, Gatshaw obviously popped last night, and, and, you know, I talked to some sources about these visits that he wants to take, and I think LSU's going to tolerate a couple of them, and I think a couple of those would be non-threatening visits. You know, if a kid wants to go out to UCLA, they'll let him visit because they know he's not going to go there. But I, I don't think Miami is a non-threatening visit to them. So I, I think they're going to probably put the kibosh on the five official visits that Davin wants to take. Now, you got to remember that he, he blew out his knee and he's, he's, he's done for the season, so... You know, they're in a little bit of a position of power where they can say, okay, listen, you want to take your visits, go ahead, but we're cutting bait here, and you're gone. And I I don't think he's going to want to do that. So, you know, I don't see him getting there. Now, again, they might let him take two or three, and maybe Miami is one of them. I'm just guessing. But, you know, Gadshaw has been long considered an LSU lead. Picture it this way, you know, Gary. The state of Florida produces so much high-end talent but depth. There's just four stars everywhere. Picture, you know, the state of Florida, eliminate everybody else, eliminate Florida and Florida State. Miami is the only big-time program in that entire state. And then talk about the top ten guys. You know, where are they going to go? You know, more likely than not, eight out of ten of them are going to go to Miami. That's LSU's recruiting situation. And it is so advantageous to them. And the fact that there's no other competition in state, everybody tries to come in there, and you'll lose a Cameron Robinson, you know, or Landon Collins, or somebody like that to, to Alabama. But for the most part, kids grow up dreaming of playing for LSU. There's no competition in the state, and that state is loaded with talent every year. So you mentioned their stockpiling talent. They they have to, and they better. Um, they have such a great advantage. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, at so many points during the last few decades at Miami, um, the program has been positioned because of the way it was winning and and the reputation it had nationally and the brand of the U um, was positioned to stare these teams like LSU and Alabama eye to eye for these elite level national recruits. How far away do you think Miami is from being able to do that again? I mean, obviously it's a good sign when you see kids like Fournette and Gadshaw even mentioning Miami as one of their five visits, even though it might end up being a little bit unrealistic in this recruiting cycle. Um, How far away is Miami from getting back to being a a Miami that carries the magic of the Alabama LSUs um, and can stare those guys eye to eye and, and battle to the last day for a recruit? 
I think three things have to happen. You know, I think first the, the NCAA has to finally rule on this and just, even though I said it's not a factor, it's still hanging out there, you know. And, again, it's not hanging over LSU or Alabama in that respect. I don't think anybody thinks Alabama is going to get hit with the whole D.J. Flipper thing at all. You know, the SEC sometimes has different rules than everybody else. It seems actually the Big Ten does, too, because of the Penn State situation. So I really can't predict. But, you know, that's one thing I think, you know, let's, let's get that ruled upon so that Al Golden can have, you know, at least a, a, a good, clear picture of moving forward. The second thing they have to do is they have to win the ACC. And, and go to a BCS game. And in doing so, you know, they have to be, I think, a top five, six team to do it. You know, I'm talking about winning the ACC with one loss at, at the most. Um, and the third, they have to upgrade their facilities, and, and that part I, I really can't speak to as far as, you know, it's, it's an arms race out there. And, you know, every school is putting millions and millions and millions of dollars into you know, a weight room the size of, a, you know, a small state and and all of this stuff. And, and Miami's facilities are, are improved, but certainly not to that level. So, you know, back in the day when Miami was winning national championships, and, and I know the last one was in the early 2000s. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was. You know, the arms race wasn't really on yet. It is now, and I think that's a factor. But I think the most important thing out of the three things that I mentioned there is number two, win and it will happen. You win the ACC, you go to a BCS game, you win that game, or you become in the, in the national title picture. Um, I think it happens. And, you know, let's look at, look at the schedule. I mean, Georgia Tech, I mean, they're a pretty good team. North Carolina's been underachieving. Wake Forest is eh. Virginia Tech's down. Duke is Duke. Virginia's not good. Pitt is, is, is troublesome a little bit because it's at Pitt. At Florida State is that big one, November 2nd. You know, there's a chance yep. for Miami to run the table here. And a 12-0 and Miami team winning the ACC and going 13-0, and even if they don't get in a national championship game based on strength of schedule, that is going to take recruiting to five times the level it's at right now. And it's pretty good and, right now. And, and you're looking, obviously, then at 2015 as opposed to 14 because the class is so full, right? Right, and 2015 is absolutely loaded in the state of Florida. I mean loaded. This is, you know, it, it's down in some other areas. You know, Louisiana doesn't have the talent that they do, you know, this year. Um, you know, Texas is kind of down this year. It's up next year. But, you know, California is up next year. But Florida, you know, whereas other, other states like Virginia and, and places like that, I think Georgia's down a little bit. Florida's up. I mean, it's just loaded with kids. And you've already got... You know, some of them are committed. You know, George Campbell's committed to Michigan. Devontae Phillips committed to Florida. You know, Tolliver is going to LSU, even though he's looking around. There's so much talent in that state. And, of course, you know, we all think that Miami's going to get one of those talented kids possibly by the weekend. But I think this 2015 class is a special one in Florida, and I think Miami can really do a lot of damage here if they win, because these kids are fickle. you got to understand that everybody, oh, yeah, I like Florida, until Florida doesn't have a good season. Um, you know, until they struggle and Will Muschamp's all of a sudden hot seat guy. Uh, kids are fickle. You know, so win your schedule, continue to win, uh, and I think good things will happen. All right, Mike, before we let you go and enjoy your evening, we're going to try to squeeze in one last recruiting call here from the 504. You're now live on Kane Sport Live. Jerry, how you doing, man? We're doing good. Thanks for holding on. 
Mike, I got a question. Um, I know uh, I'm from Louisiana. I'm from New Orleans, and I know John Curtis plays uh, St. Aug on uh, Friday, which is where uh, Leonard Fournette plays. Um, the relationship between LSU and St. Aug actually probably 2000 when when Saban got there. That's when they it kind of mended the relationship, mended mended the uh, relationship because LSU was never recruiting at St. Aug. A lot of those guys. It's going back to Leroy Hoyt, going back to Renosh Thompson. These guys were going to Tennessee and Michigan. So it just started to pick up from for St. All to, to get guys to go to LSU. But my initial question is, um, Kenny Young and uh, Dupree and even Fournette, I'm just saying, what's, what's, what's the odds of those kids uh, going to Miami? You know, I, I think Kenny Young is the guy that, that they have a shot at. Um you know, Malachi Dupree is, from what I understand, you know, again, these are from my sources, is either going to go to LSU or he's going to go out to UCLA. And he's been out to UCLA a billion times. He loves the West Coast, you know, the pretty girls, the weather, all that stuff. I still think he's going to stick and stay in state um, at LSU. Kenny Young's a guy that I could definitely see, you know, having interest in Miami as he does. You know, they're, they're in his six, uh, taking a visit and possibly leaving the state. I, I don't see him as a guy who's a lock um, at all. In fact, I think, you know, guys like Speedy Noel, you know, could leave the state. Guys like Gerald Willis could leave the state. Uh, and, and I put, in the, you know, I put Kenny Young in that group there. I just, like I said, Fournette has for the longest time been rumored to either be LSU or Alabama. Cameron Robinson commitment, everybody thought, oh, that's going to influence Leonard and he's going to go to Alabama. I just everything I know and everybody I talk to tells me that he's probably going to stay close to home, um, and Malachi is going to do the same thing. But Kenny Young's a guy to keep an eye on, definitely if you're a Miami fan. And hey, listen, this is recruiting. You get any of these kids on campus, anything could happen. And again, that's Al Golden. He's a great recruiter, and I think getting him on campus is important these days. Even if you don't win the battle, the fact that if Leonard Fournette takes an official visit to Miami. These kids pay attention to stuff like that. And they're like, hey, that's the number one running back in the country. What's he taking a look at Miami for? Maybe I should take a look at Miami. And they'll visit too. I mean, that's that's the fickle nature of recruiting these days. So you can get as much pop out of getting a kid on campus. I really think the last couple of years that, that the official visits that Miami got out of kids that didn't end up signing with them still helped recruiting moving forward. Because um, I know, you know, there were, there were, some, there were some issues with – you know, Miami fans are like, oh, man, we can't close. We can't do this at the end. Some of those names were unrealistic players. They weren't going to go to Miami. Al Golden did a great job to get them on campus, and that created a buzz, and it sort of leads to getting some of these other guys. So Kenny Young, keep an eye on him for sure. And, um, you know, for now, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I just know what I know right now, but it's October, what is it, October 1st, 2nd, something like that. And one, and one last question. Um Oh, that was my fault, Mike. I accidentally hit the button okay. and, uh, and cut I'll him loose. I'll make up a question for him. <laughs> well, I'll make you know, up a question. Th- <laughs> um, th- thanks a million for joining us tonight. Awesome insight. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do it again, you know, in a month or two down the road as some of these situations develop and we uh, start moving closer to signing day. Yeah, and I'm, as I'm sure you know, you know, you've been, you've been probably uh, teasing – 
keep an eye on canesport.com over the next week or so because, um, you know, there, there could be some good news coming down the pipe for 2016. They got two commitments, all right? They, they're my leader in the clubhouse right now for 2016, and that's ridiculous. <laughs> You know, but there could be some good news coming for 2015 very soon. So com and rivals for it. Yes, sir. All right, Mike. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us tonight. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Steve. He's Mike Farrell, the national recruiting analyst for Rivals.com. And um, very nice of him to spend a half hour with us here. And, you know, I think you saw what type of insight he provides. We've got uh, 27 minutes of show left here and um wide open board for your phone calls 646-595-2048 646-595-2048 um i'm going to try to work my way uh through some of these these topics that we talked about uh that that we would be discussing tonight and um one of the things that's come up in the last couple of days is there's been a lot of talk on the message boards about uh, Jared Wheeler and the job that he's been doing filling in for Shane McDermott at center. And a lot of people think that he potentially might be a better center than McDermott and um, should get the nod for the rest of the year. We talked to Art Kehoe today about that issue. Um, let's first hear what Art had to say about Jared Wheeler. Before, well, first of all, I can't even pronounce his classes. You know, I mean, he's a civil engineer, and and I said, "What class are you in that you're missing practice?" And, I, and, he, and he started writing it on the board. You know, and he was filling up the board, the name of the class. So, but he's a he's a really he's a he's a terrific play, kid, a really good player, and he and he's really he's really doing a good job, and it's it's a great thing because we need him. You know, we're a little dinged up, and guys have been back and forth playing a lot of positions in there. And, and he, he's doing a good job and can play anywhere for us. Is it just that he's blossomed that fast, or you know, where, where was he last year in the mix, or why is he coming on so strong? Well, he's just—he's very tough and smart, and you know, all the stuff you look for in O line. You, you want dependable, reliable, accountable, tough, smart, hard workers, and, and that's what he's about. I'm sure you see all those things in practice, but it's different once they get in the game and do it. He, you really haven't done that in the game because the last two weeks. Well, actually, he did it last year in a lot of games. He really did a good job for us in backup time, and that's what, you know, Coach, I've never done this, but Coach Golden really insisted on us playing everybody, and and we just didn't have enough to play too deep. And now we we now we do, but then we got dinged up with a couple injuries. But that's what he wants, and I, I love it because it just – you know, it allows you to move guys around and all the walkthroughs and preparation you do and then, and then develop guys that can play multiple positions. And so it gets like the NFL. I mean, the NFL dresses 47 on Sunday. About seven or eight of them are offensive linemen. So you better have versatility. You can't just have, oh, like, I'm a left tackle. I tell guys, don't don't tell me that. You've you got five spots in here. Learn them all and be good at them, you know, so. Wheeler is saying that when he studies film, he's looking at the center, he's looking at the tackle, he's looking at the guard. Can that get confusing for a lineman? Uh, not really. Not really, because we're trying to we're trying to make a you know we're, we're we're trying to make them communicate with each other. So you're only good as an offensive lineman if you're communicating to the guy next to you. Because if you play good and block good, and that guy doesn't play good. We're, we have a bad play, you know, so it's all about being versatile enough to know everything, and that's the first thing we say. You know, I mean, Wheeler's six foot five, three 320 pounds, you know. Bunch is six foot six, three 327 pounds, you know, and 
and, and the fact that they're able to do that, a bunch can actually play center now, you know, and he couldn't play last year. So, you know, and I think we can put them in games and they can operate efficiently enough that maybe we can win the game, you know, with, which if you get to the second or third guy at that position, that's hard to do. All right. That was our Kehoe talking about the Jared Wheeler issue and what he thinks of his uh, utility reserve, a, guy, a kid that can really play any position on the line. They, you know, Obviously, he plays center. He could play guard. This week in practice, they're even working him at tackle so that he could provide depth all across the line. Um, Arkeo managing that offensive line this year, very much like an NFL team, uh, like he said, where, where guys can play any position and are kind of interchangeable. A lot of people, and I'm not convinced they're wrong, think that a lot of this mixing and matching and switching is affecting the consistency and quality of play of the offensive line. Um, in in the past, and you know how long Arquijo has been in the Miami program, he always believed in, in, in finding his best five guys and playing them extensively, letting them build chemistry together, gel as a unit, all the cliches that you want to throw around uh, that have to do with football. Um, but Al Golden's philosophy, um, and you really can't argue with it in terms of the entire football team, is to play a lot of kids, get everybody involved in the program, manage the entire roster, to develop your talent top to bottom from 1 to 85, and, and keep those kids engaged on, on, game, you know, on game day, except for the ones that are being redshirted, obviously. And, um, you know, it's a great philosophy. I mean, it, it, it's clearly working. Um, the Miami program's taken massive steps forward under Al Golden. Um, but I still wonder, like many people do, um, if maybe that does compromise a little bit on the offensive line in terms of cohesiveness and, and, and that unit bonding. Um, we are seeing breakdowns in ball games. We talked earlier about, you know, Stephen Morris maybe taking a few extra hits that he, you know, preferably would not take. Uh, we've talked about the problems in short yardage running game. Um, enough things to keep everybody uh, working and on edge. And, um, you know, we'll just have to see how things go with the offensive line. But, uh, you know, is Jared Wheeler a better center than Shane McDermott? I'm not ready to overreact and say that based on performances against Savannah State and South Florida. I thought Shane McDermott has been continuously playing some pretty decent football for Miami. I expect him to be in the starting lineup Saturday against George Tech. All right, we still have... Um, about 21 minutes of show left. Um, once again, everyone's welcome to call in and uh, participate. The number is 646-595-2048. Um, I'll move on in the meantime to another one of the topics that were brought up on the canesport.com message boards this week. Um, and the question was asked that with Georgia Tech being a running team that can milk the clock, should Miami try to score quickly in this game? Or should the Hurricanes slow down the tempo to give the defense a rest? And I can unequivocally tell you that there's not going to be any giving the defense a rest in this ball game. Um, you, when you play Georgia Tech, you're trying to score points. You want to get out ahead of them. There's no question that the Miami game plan is going to be to start quick. Because if you can get Georgia Tech playing come from behind football, that's not exactly an area where they excel. And... Um, you know, as as noted earlier in the show, they like to run the ball about 85% of the time when they can and, and exploit that triple offense and challenge the defense to stop it. And um, so I see Miami trying to start very fast. I expect 
James Coley to come into this game with a package of plays that Georgia Tech has not seen to this point. And um, I think Miami is going to try to be a racehorse here with speed and get out in, in front of the pack. Um, another uh, topic that was brought up this week, what about the explosion from the Miami offense against South Florida with the Canes putting up 411 yards of offense um, before halftime? And, you know, is that a sign of things to come? And I think it is. I mean, I really do. I've, you know, obviously, you know, I think the Miami offense has always had um, this type of capability. Um, I, I think that the first game against FAU was a very vanilla game plan. You know, they weren't really trying to show a whole heck of a lot. You know, beating Florida Atlantic by 28 or 48 really didn't make much of a difference. I think you saw them start fast against Florida. Coley came in with a package of plays there that Florida hadn't seen before. Miami put up 14 quick points in the first quarter. And then Will Muschamp took over the defense, and the Gators adjusted. And um, Golden and Coley were faced with a decision. Do you adjust back, open up the offense, take some risks, subject yourself to sacks, fumbles, interceptions, or do you play it close to the vest, put the game in the hands of your best player, Duke Johnson, and try to win it on the ground behind Duke and the offensive line? And, you know, we've talked about it the past few weeks on the show. I thought that was a great decision. Um, I think it's what the doctor ordered in that ball game. I think it worked. Miami was up by 12 late in the fourth quarter. Um, and that was with a lot of it failing. I mean, let's be honest. You know, the offensive line did not perform as well in that ball game as it's capable of performing. And, um, you know, so, you know, that was the Florida game. You didn't see a, a ton of wide open offensive passing play in that game. Savannah State, you know, you know, it was you didn't have to have a complicated game plan against Savannah State. They could run any play in the playbook, and it was going to result in a touchdown. Miami could have scored 100 points in that Savannah State game. And then you're talking about South Florida. Um, I think in preparation for this ACC uh, juggernaut coming up, uh, Coley opened up the offense, took the shackles off of the passing game. I think you saw the, the results uh, with the 411 yards of offense in the first half. 222 yards passing by Stephen Morris in about a quarter and a half. Big plays all over the football field. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that was the real Miami offense on display. And we've talked a little bit about tonight and had some different questions about things like throwing screen passes, getting the ball to the tight end more. And I've noted for you that you can't do everything in every game. And without question, all those things are in the arsenal. I think we will see them from time to time as the season moves forward. Um, but I really like where I see the Miami offense right now going into the meat of the season. I, I think they're really starting to get their act together and have great things to look forward to. Um, another question that was presented, and again, you're welcome to call in 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. Another question was, what's up with the short yardage running game? And, you know, why did Miami struggle some on the goal line against USF? What about Duke Johnson? He looks like a different player down there. And I'll tell you what, in my opinion, the reason he looks like a different player when he's down there is because he is a different player when he's down there. I don't think that the short yardage running game is Duke Johnson's game. As great as he is, you know, that's just not his deal. And those of you that watched the um, – the Dolphin game last night against the Saints, and you saw Darren Sproles and, and, and the great impact. 
that he had on that ball game, um, he's like an NFL Duke Johnson. And, you know, I'm not sure that if you were trying to run inside with him all the time, that that would be his game either. You know, there's, there's some players that can be great players and make huge impacts on football games, but maybe, you know, they're not 100% complete. Maybe there's certain things that they do better than other things. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, to me, rather than force Duke Johnson to be a short yardage back, I think it's important that Miami develop somebody else to play that role. Uh, like I said, I my top candidate would be Gus Edwards. You know, even though Dallas Crawford has shown a great nose for the goal line early in the season, it was against Savannah State and South Florida. I'm not overreacting to any of that. Um, I think the best guy, the best guy physically for that task is Gus Edwards. And um, it's just a matter of him continuing to develop and get the confidence of the coaches to where they feel that they can trust him in crunch time moments. Um, so, you know, that's the Miami offense. That's the short yardage running game. And um, we'll just see where it goes from there. Next topic that was brought up, which conference foe should people be most worried about moving forward? Is it Georgia Tech this Saturday, Florida State, Virginia Tech, North Carolina? Uh, I think obviously, you know, you'd probably have to put Florida State number one on that list. I don't think it takes a genius to figure that out. The Seminoles are playing great offensive football so far this year. They've got a superstar freshman in Jameis Wilson, Winston, um, who's doing a great job uh, week to week. Uh, is going to be a huge issue for the Hurricanes to have to deal with when they go up there to Tallahassee in November. Um, but the Florida State defense, you know, has shown some vulnerability. I do think Miami will have the capability of moving the football in Tallahassee, and that could be a great, great football game. And the key to it is going to be how much they're able to um, exploit the inexperience of Jameis Winston and make things difficult for him. And if they're successful in doing that and they can force him into some freshman mistakes, they got a chance to pull the upset in Tallahassee. Um, but, I, you know, I think that without question, that would have to be number one on the list of conference foes that people should be most worried about. Uh, number two, to me, might be Georgia Tech, even though they lost to Virginia Tech on Thursday night and, and played a horrible ball game. I still think that this is a team, because of its offense and the way it can challenge the Hurricane defense, um, could be could be a little bit of a, of a hassle uh, this Saturday and, and a big challenge. I, I think that you know that's why, as I noted earlier, you see the point spreads coming down. Why a lot of people around the country think that this is going to be a really tight, hard fought, hard fought ball game on Saturday. And you know, I think you just got to caution yourself not to get too far ahead of yourself and start, you know, putting W's next to all these games. I mean, any football season uh, brings challenges week to week. Even the best Miami teams have had to had very tight games against teams like Boston College, East Carolina. Um, you know, South Carolina, you can go on and on and on through the years that were tight games, even though they, they were, there was the perception that they were going to win easily because the team was so good. Um, so, you know, I think I would probably put Georgia Tech number two just because of the challenges that their offense presents. And then I think I'd go Virginia Tech number three. And then I'm definitely not disrespecting that Thursday night game at North Carolina, even though they've been struggling. You know, Thursday night road games under the lights. That type of atmosphere uh, can always be problematic for any football team and could be for the Hurricanes as well. All right, we're going to go back to the phone lines right now. Again, the number 
646-595-2048. you got about 12 minutes left to call the show. Right now, we're going to go out to the uh, 614, where you're now live on Kane Sport Lives. Hey, Gary. This is uh, Bill, a.k.a. BGK, and a long, long-time subscriber of yours. Uh, going How's back going, to the days of the print edition. Good, good, to, good to talk to you. Hey, Gary. Um, I apologize. I just was able to to actually just um, be on the station lately in terms of uh, uh, tonight, uh, just catch you a little bit. But And I apologize if you brought up this point uh, before. But, man, I really like the contributions of these, these um, I, I guess you can call them waiver wire transfers like David Gilbert and Justin Renfro. I got to be honest with you, and especially with Justin Renfro, I'm not worried about Georgia Tech as much as some other people may be because I think I, I, I think these guys uh, were so were so much deeper at the defensive line than we've ever had been that I really think we're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. I just wanted to get your opinions on on some of these new guys and just just uh, if you can give that opinion and what you think. Uh, how you think these guys are contribute to us uh, ultimately getting to the ACC championship? Uh, thanks, Gary. I'll listen to your I'll listen to your uh, thoughts. All right. Well, um, I agree with you on Justin Renfro has been a huge pickup and um, a guy that wasn't a superstar at Virginia by any stretch of the imagination, but he's an older player. Um, he's coming in. He's done all the right things, and you know I don't think you could say enough about the the, the personnel management of Al Golden and his staff, uh, you know, just doing a great job mining, you know, for, for these guys. And, you know, another one obviously is David Gilbert, the defensive end. And, you know, he started last year for Wisconsin. And um, I think David Gilbert could pay big dividends uh, Saturday. Um, in all honesty, um, you know, he's a kid, even though he hasn't played Georgia tech, he played a full season um, for Wisconsin on defense, you know, a lot of smash mouth, type football in that league and um you know he's not going to be intimidated by Georgia Tech's offensive line and 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 I'm going to be interesting interested to see just what type of contribution they ask him to make on Saturday obviously a guy like Shayon Green has played Georgia Tech a few times and uh is very familiar um with them uh, Anthony Chicolo obviously has played Georgia Tech a few times and is very familiar with them. Uh, but, you know, those guys can't go 60, 70 snaps. And, you know, you're going to need some quality play out of um, Gilbert. You're going to need some quality uh, snaps from Kamalu. Um, and the tackles, you know, that four-tackle rotation is going to be huge for Miami. Um, I think the big key is going to be what mindset they show up at the stadium with. You know, playing Georgia Tech is a pain in the butt for defensive linemen. They, you know, you don't, you know, you, they're coming at your knees every play. You know, you don't. You have to be really disciplined and carry out your assignments. If you leave a gap open, it might result in a touchdown. Um, you know, it, it, you got to be really sharp mentally. You got to be really sharp physically, and it's going to be interesting to see. You know how someone like say a Curtis Porter holds up in that type of situation. Um, you know Curtis hasn't played a lot of football and hasn't really been under the gun like that. So um, a lot of subplots to this game on Saturday, and um, in terms of Miami contending for the ACC Coastal, you know obviously right now I think you know you'd have to call the Hurricanes the front runner uh, going into this game on Saturday. But if they're unable to win it. 
um, obviously it's open season uh, from there. So I hope I answered that question. And um, we've got about eight minutes left. Welcome the more more guys are welcome to call in six four six five nine five two zero four eight six four six five nine five two zero four eight. Uh, let me continue on uh, down the list of topics that were thrown out on canesport.com this week. Uh, what's the latest on the NCAA front? Uh, we're into October now and not a word in sight. And I think the latest is there is no latest. You know, I did hear this week that one of the options on the table is waiting till after the season to make any announcements about Miami. Um, I'm not sure whether a decision has been made on that yet. Um, and I feel pretty certain that not too many people really know anything on the NCAA front except the people in the NCAA. And I've been absolutely mesmerized by the quality of this committee in keeping all of these things secret and, and uh, there not being any leaks coming out of that committee on infractions. And uh, really nobody has any clue what's going on and everybody's anxiously awaiting. And um, we've been saying all along that we thought that this could go deep into September and now into October. And here we are. And uh, right now there's just no end in sight on the NCAA. All right, 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. Let's go out now to the 305, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary, how's it going? Going good. How you doing? Good, good. Uh, sorry if I if I talk about something that's been covered. Just calling oh, in now. Um, not a problem at all. Just wanted to talk about uh, the DB play, uh, especially from Tracy He's really been stepping it up. Um, it's it's really good to have someone out there that you can trust that's gonna, you know, he's gonna shut him down. He's in, he has some confidence back there, and also uh, Rayshon Jenkins. He's really been, you know, playing up to his potential this year. He's been flying around. He's uh, you can rely on him, and uh, just want to talk about that. Uh, I think it's been I think it's been great, um, but I also think that they haven't really been challenged. You know, that much. I mean, you know, we. I think you want to be able to pound your chest and say they were challenged against Florida. The truth of the matter is Florida's passing offense is not very strong. Their quarterback, you know, was a turnover machine in that game. And, um, you know, but at the same time, I don't think you want to diminish how well they played against Florida. Um, the other three games, they weren't challenged at all. You know, I didn't think South Florida really challenged the defensive backfield at all on on Saturday, and uh, they'll be challenged a little bit against Georgia Tech in, in in several different ways. I think you know they'll be in man coverage a lot of the time because you have to be when you're defending this offense. Um, I think the big test is going to be against the running game. You know, Tracy Howard didn't play last year against Georgia Tech. The coaches sat him down because it just wasn't his style of ball game. Um, that physical, pounded out style. He wasn't ready for that as a true freshman. Now he's a little bit bigger this year, a little bit stronger, a little bit tougher. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how effective he is on Saturday in a different type of ball game than what you know he thrives upon. Um, Darius Gunner, obviously a big corner uh, who needs to be effective. Um, I'm not sure Antonio Crawford, you know, being a little bit of an undersized corner, is ready for that task on Saturday. Um, Nate Dorch probably is not ready for that task on Saturday. So. You know, I think Mark D'Onofrio has some challenges out on the perimeter against Georgia Tech's offense. Yeah, I agree about the depth. But, you know, um, 
they got to do it against lower competition if they're going to do it against the you know the Agreed. the topper rep. And gotta, you know we weren't doing Yeah, you got to start somewhere. And um, you know this wasn't happening last couple of years, and we weren't you know playing with that confidence even against you know lower competition. So it's, just, it's good to see that Trace is out there and he really is progressing. And it just it's a it's a sentiment to the coaches, and uh, they're really driving these players. Yep, I agree. Um, but you know, you're only as good as your last game, and those guys are going to be challenged big time on Saturday. Definitely. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. All right. Thanks for calling. Uh, hope to hear from you again uh, next week. All right. Well, we're uh, getting close to being out of show for tonight. Um, obviously, a great deal of excitement. Everyone's looking forward uh, to Saturday with, with Georgia Tech coming in. It's going to be a huge ball game. Like I've said throughout the show, I, I think it's going to be a, a little bit tighter game than some people think. I think those Ozmakers in, in Vegas – uh, know what they're doing. Um, but I do think that, obviously, Miami, with the quality of its offense right now, um, does have a chance to get out ahead in this ball game and uh, get Georgia Tech out of its element. So really, nothing would surprise me, but um, I do think this is one of the, the games that you got to circle here this season um, as being a particular challenge to this Hurricane team um, as it moves forward in the season and tries to win the ACC Coastal and get to Charlotte. Well, I'd like to thank our guest tonight, Jason Stam from Hokie Haven, who uh, came on and talked to us a little bit about how Virginia Tech was able to have effectiveness against Georgia Tech and the synergies there in preparation. I think Virginia Tech and Miami uh, play very similar uh, styles of football with the with in terms of athletes, and I think that you know, the synergies in preparation, you know, the, the study work in the off season, talking to different people around the country, um, putting a lot of attention into the scout team and, and who composes the scout team, tightening up the rotations, making sure that players that are in the game are equipped to execute the schemes that you have to come up with to stop this Georgia Tech offense. I think the way that Virginia Tech approaches it and the way Miami approaches it are very similar, and those will uh, kind of align um, as Georgia Tech coming off the heels of playing Virginia Tech um, now goes against Miami. So I uh, want to thank Jason Stamp for discussing that with us tonight. I, I, I thought that the Bud Foster interview gave you guys some great insight into how a defensive coordinator um, has to prepare for Georgia Tech and how difficult of a task that is. Um, I want to thank Mike Farrell, the national recruiting analyst for Rivals.com, for joining us on the show tonight. I thought that was a really informative segment on recruiting and where Miami stands in the national picture. And again, anybody that missed any segments of our show, the podcast will be online in about 30 minutes. Um, you're welcome to go back and listen to whatever portions you missed or, or the, the entire show if you, if you would like. Um, we always archive uh, those podcasts. So great show tonight. Want to thank everybody that participated. We'll look forward to doing it again next Tuesday night um, after the Hurricanes take on Georgia Tech um, and have a little bit of an open week there before they play um, the North Carolina High Heels on a Thursday night. So thank you for everybody for joining us. We'll catch you next week when we do it again on Kane Sport Live. <laughs>